1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Well, hello and welcome to the Football History Podcast. My name is nick hart joining me is journalist and commentator mr neil fizzler my co-pilot welcome to the show neil
3: hello nick how you going mates
2: going good this is this is a really interesting idea and i can't claim it listeners which is obviously my 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 instinct is always to claim every good idea but uh, this is actually neil's idea um a football history podcast neil um i think it's got a a lot of interesting potential
3: i think you've been a little bit Unfair on yourself. to <laughs> <laughs> give people some idea to how this came about, I think about a year ago during the first lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah. We're both. Yeah, we're both Millwall fans. We're both history buffs. And on your podcast, Action Millwall, we uh, we did a series of podcasts, didn't we? About we did. Figures yeah, in Millwall's history.
2: Lesser known great figures of the past, which are yeah, really good.
3: At North Greenwich and things like that. <laughs> Just great stories. And you said, why don't we do a general history? Podcast.
2: Covering other clubs, internationals, yeah. anything really of football history. Yeah. And I,
3: one thing leads to another. I got picked up by another Millwall podcast. You have a better name, check that Millwall podcast, just in case Mickey and Omar do actually stumble on it. <laughs> and uh, so it got put on the back burner. I'm um, just looking around for podcasts to listen to.
2: But well, I'm hoping that we can do something with this, Neil, because I think, you know, we, we, we did the Millwall ones and I, I, I found them really interesting. I know a lot of people listen to them, and I've you know I get emails and messages from uh, on social media where people say thank you for doing it. I never knew about this. We did some some of the war heroes of the club, and there will be others that across the across the ninety two clubs. I just think it's really important in these times where football is pumped up to a level that um, sometimes takes your breath away. To remember that the the game has depth and history and there are stories and human kind of glory and tragedy in all that comes in between. I think if we can touch on some of that from the many clubs in in the Football League and elsewhere, then um that'll be our that'll be our purpose. And I mean just on, on just such a story really is our choice for their first edition. And when when Neil suggested the the Jack Leslie story, I thought this is a wonderful story. And I'd never heard of Jack Leslie Neil at all
3: mate it is a wonderful story and that's what i want this podcast to be like i want it not this is history but let's color in some of that history let's find a good story and that's bring that story to life let's bring these stories into the 20s 20, or whenever we are yeah uh, let's re-educate people let's remind people Yeah, As long as it's a good story, I'd like us to cover it. And I think this Jack Leslie story is something that had been long forgotten. The fact that Jack Leslie was black Mm. and he was picked to play for England and then unpicked to play for England. And it's Mm. just a fantastic story. I know we're not proclaiming we're the best historians in the world and the best podcasters in the world, but hopefully people will learn something from our podcasts.
2: Let's hope so. I mean, that's that's certainly, I I, I join you in in that aim because I think history is made up of people and it isn't the preserve, and it shouldn't be the preserve of the professor in the Oxford, um, you know, spire somewhere. This is about real people And in Jack's case, a man from just down the road from where I'm speaking right now. So let's let's cut over now to our our interview we had with Greg Fox Smith from the Jack Leslie campaign, the Plymouth Argyle campaign. And um, we'll come back after the interview. So we'll cut now to Greg. And on the show next is a representative from the Jack Leslie campaign. Joining Neil and myself is Mr. Greg Foxmith. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you. Um, brilliant to have you on on the show. I we were just saying off air um, what a great story in 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 a sense this the Jack Leslie uh, story is. I mean, um, just to introduce the, the the subject matter. I mean, Jack Leslie was the first or one of the first black professional footballers in English football, I believe, um, and certainly the the first,
4: I guess, for Plymouth. Absolutely. He wasn't the first black footballer to play in an English team, but he was certainly one of the first. And at the time, he played professionally for Plymouth Argyle from 1921 onwards. He was at that time the only black player playing for uh, any team in in the league. So there had been one or two before, um, Arthur Wharton, Walter Toll. But in the 1920s, he was for a while the only black player and certainly the first black footballer to captain a team because he became club captain at Argyle.
2: Right. I mean, his life story is a fascinating one. I mean, he was actually born in Canning Town, which is coincidentally about a 20 minute walk from where I, I live um, to a Jamaican father, uh, John Francis Leslie um, and his mum, who's English and Leslie. Um, I mean, just as an aside, that was no easy. That, that was no easy relationship. I wouldn't have thought in those times. It was a very different world back then.
4: It certainly was. And even in East London, which was certainly more cosmopolitan and diverse than, say, Plymouth, where he, he later moved, it was still uh, unusual to have uh, a mixed race relationship. Uh, and of course, he there would have been a lot of commentary um, about that. So uh, there's no doubt that he did uh, suffer some discrimination and prejudice, um, yeah. as, as anyone would have done at that time. But he, he you know, he, he's, he took that... He, he took that and, and still went on to succeed at a professional level.
2: I mean, the, the, the website that the Jack Leslie campaign, will come on to the campaign later, but the, the website is is wonderful. And I would recommend anyone interested in Jack's life to to check it out. It's, the, the, it's packed with detail. There's, there's a lot of um, information on there. But you do get a sense of um, how different those times were, Greg. I mean, the language stops, you know, with a couple of the paragraphs in the account of Jack's story stopped me in my tracks. I mean, it, it, it's, I know it's you know, 2021 and we're all aware of the world as it is nowadays, but wow, some of the language was incredible just as in everyday terms and of descriptions and um, Jack's own description of himself. There was, there was one bit where he described himself as, um, or maybe he was described as, as a darkie and, you know, to see that in print and you think, wow, it, 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 it's, it's an eye opener, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it really
4: is. I mean, we see um, some, you know, examples of racial abuse on Twitter and social media, you know, now. But at the time, that parlance was commonplace, and so even what you might describe as respectable newspapers would use terminology language like that because it wasn't considered um, so outrageous as we would rightly think it now.
2: I mean, Neil. I mean, you're you're in the um, you're in the press. I mean, the, the language of those times is, is 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 just fascinating. I mean, in a kind of um. What's the word? It, it 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 reads it reads in a way that does does look very jarring by with a modern eye, doesn't it?
3: I must admit, when yeah, when Jack was selected to play for England, uh, he he was described as a man of colour, darky forward, yeah, dark fuzzy head schemer. It's just yeah. unbelievable, really, isn't it? Phrases now that you quite frankly you wouldn't even think about writing, would you?
2: No, I mean these, these. As as Greg said, these were in the press. It wasn't wasn't the bunch of blokes in the pub. It was it was the it was the local papers. But there we are. But I mean, Greg. He. I mean, he, he came from Barking. He was playing for Barking Town, now Barking FC, a club that still exists, actually, non non league club. Um, signed for Plymouth Argyle as part of a freeway way um, deal. It seemed I think there were three two other players that signed for Argyle in 1921 by the manager Bob Bob Jack, I believe.
4: That's right. So. Um... Argyle took three players uh, from from Barking, um, Jack and, and two of his uh, colleagues, and that must have been you know quite a significant move from Barking, East London, over to uh, to, to Plymouth, um, where they were inducted into the team. Uh, at least you know Jack would have had the company of of uh, two friends, if you like, um, because he was still you know very young uh, guy when he he made that uh, significant uh, move. One of the um, one of the parts of the deal was that uh, Plymouth Argyle promised to give a pre-season friendly game to uh, Barking and that, that took place. So Jack's first game for Plymouth Argyle was against his former club in a friendly. Um, and of course he scored. So uh, he, got, he got off to a flying start. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful
2: stuff. Um, I mean, certainly at this point, but Plymouth Argyle, rather like my own dear beloved Millwall, would have been a third division South side and that was a, quite a tough division to get out of. I mean, just looking at Jack's career told the story of many a club, I think, really, because unless you were champions of the third division, South, you didn't get out of it, did you? You were kind of stuck there for long well, periods.
4: It, it's a particularly sore point for Plymouth Argyle fans because we finished uh, second in the league for about six consecutive seasons at right. a time when only the top team went up. So we were perennial runners-up, and it was very frustrating before uh, eventually with Jack's um, help they got a promotion to the second division
2: now his position was initially uh, what they call an outside forward i guess that would be a winger in in modern modern parlance and he was converted by bob jack to an inside forward so more of a striking role i would guess and he seemed to flourish in that role didn't he started to score goals for the, for the argyle
4: he, he really did and it's also the right to recognize he was part of a great um, striking partnership uh, with sammy black who is a very well known figure from plymouth uh, history um, has the record for, for goals scored and the two of them combined really well. They were both uh, free scoring and um, although the stats really didn't record assists in the way that we no. have <laughs> focused today, they clearly were assisting each other. They were a formidable um, striking partnership.
2: Yeah, I mean, just looking at there's, Wikipedia has, a, has a, a nice grid of his career stats um, and the goal started to flow off a couple of early seasons where, you know, three goals, five goals, then 14, 17 in 19, 25, 26, and, and then on towards eventually promotion in the, yeah for Plymouth in, in the late 20s, early 1930s. Um, so a flourishing forward, clearly a player described with, I guess, flair, goal-scoring flair, an attractive player to watch. And he's then caught the eye. I mean, the, the Jack's story turns on the um, the selection for England and then the deselection i i don't know how we're going to put that but um let's, let's stick with that phrase for the moment um which occurred in nineteen twenty five greg um yeah, not unusual in those times and i and, know and neil i mean we we've spoken about some some Millwall players in our time who were chosen for in, international honours from the third division so it was not an unusual you know not an unusual event for a player with a third division side an unfashionable side let's let's not be um you know beat around a bush, Plymouth Argyle. Um, but it was not unusual to be selected for England in those times, Greg.
4: It absolutely, wasn't. And um we struggle, I think, to get our heads around that today mm. because, of course, there's such a huge gulf now, let's be honest, between Premier League and divisions below. Yeah. But that wasn't the case in the 1920s. You know, if you were a professional footballer, the gap in quality and class between first, second and third division was very slight. Um, each had professional footballers, you know, FA Cup results showed that third division teams were quite quite capable of matching first division teams. And certainly for FA selection, it wasn't uncommon to be selected from the third division or even non-league teams. Um, yeah. In the 1920s, we saw players from Dulwich Hamlet, for example, um, yeah. get England call-ups. So, uh, yeah, I just think we have to get into that mindset that it wasn't the um, phenomenal difference in, in ability that we might uh, recognise today.
2: So. In 1925, let's let's get cut to the chase. Really, of Jack's Jack's um, career really turned up at this point. In many respects, um, he was listed as being in the England team in the press, and I've I've had a look separately to the the website. It's fantastic. The JackLeslie.co.uk website has got stacks of detail on this. Listeners, I've had a quick look at the um, the British newspaper archive myself just to have a quick, um, you know as to what what the story was about and there he is he was listed as a in the team not in the not in the squad or whatever the the equivalent would have been in those those times they had reserves rather than the substitutes in those days but he was listed as being in the team greg and this is there in in black and white
4: that's right it was um in the in the uh fa selection sheet which we've seen and it was picked up by the papers who reported on it yeah. so national press certainly uh, noted that he had been selected Of course, locally, it was a huge story because, uh, you know, the people of Plymouth and uh, were very excited to have an Argyle player selected. So it it was a a really big talking point and uh, a cause for celebration. So you can imagine the disappointment and frustration when that decision was uh, reversed just before, you know, very shortly before the game was to be played.
2: And listed on the website, and this is a copy of the paragraph from the Western Daily Press, which would have been um, obviously a West of England newspaper. But as so many local papers then were seen a bit like our own Evening Evening Standard in London, they were they were kind of seen as papers of substance, and you know they weren't just your local kind of giveaway ones that you might get nowadays. But so the Western Daily Press on the seventh of October, nineteen. 19- 25 and this is on the website um actually i have a copy of it leslie of plymouth argyle an interesting feature to southerners of the of the england 11 chosen to oppose ireland at belfast on the 24th of october is the selection of jf leslie the plymouth argyle inside forward as reserve as reserve here but i've seen one i think it was a Halifax paper something north, listing him as being in the team um so different wording there um and then it goes on leslie a man of color was one of the three players persuaded by mr robert jack to leave barking town for professionalism at plymouth the others being richardson and rowe the article was quite you know the the, the piece that's um I, I think was written by an author who, who created a book called britain's black players the first um the kind of pioneers shall we say greg of of, of, of um you know black players across many of the 92 clubs so he, there he was he was listed in in the, i've seen in the team, and i'll stick my little copy on online just as um evidence for the uh the, <laughs> the prosecution <laughs> um and then the story goes that he was the, the fa committees they had like a committee selection system back then discovered his his um his ethnic origin they they, they must have caused some disquiet
4: Yes uh, that's absolutely right um and Nick you know I agree that there's some evidence he was selected for the team uh, others um suggest that he was picked as a travelling reserve but I'd make the point that then when you only were allowed one um substitution anyway the travelling reserve would normally expect to play so either way he would have you know featured would been, yeah would have been there and would have would have had a run out um but yes the deselection thing of course is uh is hard to understand um exactly what happened or or find uh, who was responsible for that. It's not minuted in that way. So the bare facts are he was selected and then he was deselected. But we didn't have the intense scrutiny then that we might have now where that would have been picked up and demands made as to how that had happened. What we think uh, is the case is that um, at the last minute, somebody said, well, is this really the sort of representative we want for England? his face doesn't fit I, I i put it that way sort of okay. quite, quite, quite neutrally because i don't think that there's evidence to suggest that the uh, selection committee were overtly racist in the way that we might think of you know um racists in the 1970s and 1980s you know mm. using extreme uh, racist terminology i think it was more of a a, a clique of old boys who, who had an image in their own mind of what it was to represent uh, england um and that somebody from a, you know different ethnicity just wasn't the right fit it's not who they wanted to be wearing the england shirt so it was almost casual uh, racism if you like or, or perhaps prejudice is a better word they were just slightly prejudiced against the idea of someone uh, who wasn't um white and english looking if i put it that way um putting on the the shirt
2: And it was, you know, the the game, the other thing to say, and I think, Neil, it's worth saying that the the England team prior to uh, when when Jack was selected and then uh, deselected, shall we say, the England team was actually being criticised for lack of flair. And there there was Jack Leslie, a a goal-scoring player, clearly of talent. Okay, he's in Plymouth, but, um, you know, we're lacking up front. We need goals. And, you know, it would have been an ideal tryout, wouldn't it? I mean, it, 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 everything added up to at least seeing him on the pitch, if not to start, maybe to come in at some point if as a reserve, as a substitute in the old way.
4: I That's think- right, and certainly there doesn't seem to be any evidence that people were critical of the decision because of lack of ability. He, he was clearly seen as fitting the bill and being able to provide something. But we have to try and understand the mindset of the FA at the time. I mean, this was 19... 19- um, in 1921, just a few years before Jack's selection, this was the Football Association who banned women's football, you know, that <laughs> had become too popular. Um, after the First World War, with so many players away, women's football had taken off in popularity. They were getting crowds of, in the tens of thousands, and the FA thought, well, we, we can't have this. Um, and that ban, you know, was in place for almost 50 years, and it's only recently we've seen the women's football build up again. So, it, it, again, it's that sort of slightly crusty, you know, old school tie, old mm. committee room fogeyism um, that, that was uh, totally sim- um, symptomatic of, of the kind of guys who would have been on the FA committee.
3: Yeah, well, I think what's actually worth noting was in that game, England were actually captained by an amateur yeah. called, <laughs> called Claude Ashton, who was actually born under the Raj in India and uh, was a stockbroker. And play <laughs> played his football for Corinthians, who didn't play league football. They only played friendlies. So you can see that mindset, can't you? It's almost a us and them, upstairs, downstairs type of situation, isn't it? And whereas they'd have probably looked down upon footballers anyway. Yes. Yeah. But in those attitudes, Jack would have been even lower than a footballer because of the colour of his skin. And it, it, it's just actually symptomatic of, I think, attitudes at the time, wasn't it?
4: That's Absolutely. so right, Neil. So right. And, um, you know, this is an England, you know, FA who when the inaugural world cup was being you know planned um England didn't deign to join you know they really didn't <laughs> to, to play in a, in a world cup you know they just yeah, they were actually the having a row at
3: the time weren't they over amateurism and payments to players
4: yeah, exactly it's
3: just absolutely unbelievable that we that we invented the game and we gave the game to the world and rfa were more interested in johnny foreigner somewhere <laughs> playing an amateur um, we can't have that, can we? So they actually, so they actually took the ball yes. um, went away. But then again, it was, it was eventually played in Uruguay, and there's no suggestion that we'd have actually have gone over because of the
4: voyage time and things like that. But it just well, we can, you, you, you say that, cars, Neil. But, but um, one of the interesting features of Jack's life was that the Plymouth Argyle did a, a tour of South America. Um, so uh, it was Argentina, well, didn't they? They did. Um, in fact, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to mention that Plymouth Argyle beat Argentina <laughs> and Uruguay during their <laughs> during, during that tour, um, and it was with Jack in the team. So uh, there's some great photographs of uh, packed stadiums in South America. Um, and what a thing, you know, to think that uh, Jack Leslie, a, a you know young lad from from Canning Town mm. you know, um, is, uh, is 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 travelling around playing against Argentina.
2: I mean, there's a wonderful story, Greg, on the website which I did pick up of that uh, tour to uh, the uh, the Plymouth Argyle tour to Argentina and Uruguay. Uh, the the team travelling second class in the on, on the ship, whilst the manager Robert Jack was in first class. <laughs> if you if you wanted football, I mean everything in a sense that we've discussed across the whole conversation. In a nutshell, there it is. You know, he's. He's swanning around in the cocktail bar, whilst the boys are probably—I um, don't know—they're they're sharing um, sharing cabins or something downstairs. But there we are. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. On days. the other
4: hand, Nick, um, there's a great story again. Um, 1920s Plymouth Argyle pioneered flying to games um, because Plymouth, right. being you know, on the, in the southwest, had uh, then, as they do now, the longest journey times of any uh, of any league club trying to fulfil uh, all of their fixtures. And as you can imagine, the journey times then were pretty horrendous. They're bad enough now, you might think. So um, they started charting um, planes and, and flying to uh, games before you won't be surprised to know Neil, the FA Bandit. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, yes, they did. But, um, but anyway, when I say chartered a plane, again, it was for the, the directors and the manager who would fly, <laughs> while the players would, uh, would have to make... make the train, by. I guess, yeah. But... But for one game where they had a, a spare place on the, on, on, you know, because they were small aeroplanes that had been booked, there was a spare place. And so they said, well, we'll let the captain, you know, come on. Uh, and at that time, the captain was Jack Leslie. So, again, I just love the idea, this sort of, um, you know, this <laughs> black guy from East London, you know, from this <laughs> impoverished background, being one of the first footballers to get flown to a football <laughs> match. You know, what a, what a life.
2: What a life. I mean, just going back to the England thing there, Greg, I mean, obviously he was deselected. He did not play. Um, and despite England's need for goals and the and the availability of Jack Leslie, who was a free-scoring forward for Plymouth, um, the game finished nil-nil. Um, so, you know, again, the forward-thinking FA's um, decisions um, didn't exactly um, pay off there. I mean, it was Jack never was never selected again for England. I think that's another interesting point. I mean, he may not have played in this particular fixture, but you would have thought, you know, with his goal scoring record and the fact that we're clearly not scoring, you'd have thought we, he may have been considered for another another game, another time. But he never featured again, did he?
4: No, he never he never um, got that call up, and of course. Uh... As we recognise it was then in fact over fifty years before the first black footballer did get selected yeah. for a full England um, cap, and that was Phil Anderson. So yeah. a very, very long wait. Um nineteen
2: seventy seven, I believe. Um yeah, as you say, a long, long time afterwards. Jack's career after this the you know, the international um call up and deselection. I mean he actually he actually went on to prosper. I mean he, he stayed with Plymouth, was it 14, 15 seasons, I think overall, yep. he, he became a fixture at the club. Um, eventually, Argyle would win the league and be promoted, thanks to, in no small part, to to Jack's Jack's goals. Was it in, in terms of historic? I mean, in Jack's standing in in Plymouth history, you know, in, in, in the, the, the most beloved of the club, in the sense.
4: Yeah, certainly he was uh, a name that was is you know recognized for. Historians or fans that like to look into
2: mm. into
4: the past. So um, certainly for myself, I'd heard of, of the name Jack Leslie along with Sammy Black, but what we didn't really know was the story of the England call-up that had almost been um, forgotten, if if you like. So he, he was only really just one of those names in the record books. Jack Leslie, four hundred and one appearances, one hundred and thirty-seven goals. Wow, that sounds pretty good. But uh, the story of the England selection and deselection. Um, had, had yeah just fallen into into a historical um, archive somewhere, and so even for myself as a as a lifelong Argyle fan, I, mm. I was amazed when I discovered the story relatively recently, um, and that's uh, that's what triggered myself and uh, and a friend of mine to think that we need to do more to recognise Jack's um, exploits, but also that story.
2: I mean, it's interesting. Local journalists attempted to make some inquiries to why Jack wasn't picked. Um I think it's it's probably fair to say, as, as you've said already, Greg, that there there is no smoking gun evidence. You're not going to find a minute saying don't don't play Jack Leslie because he's black. You're not going to find anything of that kind. But there did seem to be a, an a, an effort, a a, a a desire to to quash any journalistic inquiry. There's there's a, a paragraph on the on the website. Here. This is a Daily Herald. Which was a, a Labour socialist supporting paper of the time. Um, why, in an endeavour to discover why John Jack Leslie did not go as reserve to Ireland, we rang up the football association and we were informed that Leslie had not been chosen. Which, okay, is is the fact of the matter. So, there, and another uh, there's another paragraph where a local journalist attempted to um, write something was told not to write, you know, about it. So there's clearly pressure put on to journalists to not talk about it move on nothing to see here get away from it you know
4: yeah that's 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 right nick and um in fact one um journalist reporting on it used the rather enigmatic comment that my pen is under a ban on this matter (laughs) as if he had been specifically told not to include whatever he'd unearthed um but the you know the if you put all the evidence together it it is very clear what what happened and to their credit the fa of today don't dispute the story there's not a you know, it's not that they're trying to pretend it didn't happen. They are um, very rightly saying, "Yes, we recognised that uh, this did happen, and we recognise it as an injustice." So, the uh, FA um, of today has at least shown more metal um, in, in having the courage to acknowledge that historical wrong um, than their predecessors.
2: Not often you can say that, Greg. Is it, Neil? Has, uh, has your pen ever been put under a ban, mate? Have you ever you ever been pressured not to write?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think it would work really, would it? You <laughs> know me as much as anybody else, Nick. I, yeah, well, I revel in the fact of envying people like uh, oh. that. I think it should actually be noted and deserves to be that I think that Jack had the last laugh because when England were playing out like this drab nil nil draw with Ireland, Plymouth Argyle actually beat Bournemouth and Boscombe 7 2, and he scored yeah. two goals. Yeah. I, bet it, I yeah, well how good is that, honestly. It, Absolutely. But Absolutely. I think yeah, well I think yeah, we were saying that there weren't that it was fifty odd years before England actually played a black player, Viv Anderson, but but Scotland had actually done it. Uh I think in the eighteen eighties. Did they? A guy called Andrew Watson, who was actually the first black player to play in the FA Cup. He played for Swift's. Uh and and Wales actually beat England to the punch. They had a guy called Eddie Paris who played for Bradford Park Avenue and he made one appearance ironically against Ireland, I think, in what December 31. So England were lagging way, way behind everybody else, considering England is or was so multicultural. I know Windrush mm. brought a lot of people over but before that people have been coming from the colonies for years and years and years haven't they? And- well
2: that's one of the interesting parts of, of jack's story really isn't it the fact that, that you know there was his dad uh, a jamaican born man living in london with with his english wife and and jack was the the product of the of the marriage and so you know he, he was not alone i think it's sometimes easy to think that you know that, uh, the kind of story of black players begins much, much later, actually. You know, um, the, story is, the story goes back further than many, many might, might think.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role.
1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: just to close on jack's playing career i mean 384 appearances and always for plymouth Argyle. he's a one club man chaps um 384 appearances 137 goals. Sorry, 401. So I've done yeah. done him out of some I think i haven't including the FA Cup, am I? Yeah, it's 401 in total. Um
4: 137 goals. Yeah, I've, and I've, I've, uh,
2: I've, and he won the third division south with Plymouth Argyle in 1929 to 30 as as his honors. Um Greg, I mean the the campaign is a, is a wonderful website and I'll take my hat off to whoever's put the the information on there's, there's there's loads of information anyone interested in Jack's life we will find it chapter and verse on the Jack Leslie campaign website. And you've been part of this this um, initiative to to erect a statue in, in his memory at Home Park, um, and it's been a very successful campaign, I believe.
4: Yeah, uh, myself and uh, friend Matt Tiller decided to fundraise for a statue. It will be the first uh, statue of a footballer at Home Park, and we thought it was would be a good fit. So we launched a crowdfunded campaign. So we've got no uh, big backer if you like, or it's not the club purchasing it. You know, we wanted to see whether fans would get together and and relish the story and and, and support it. And we've been blown away by the support, you know, hundreds uh, of people have have Mm -hmm. contributed, sometimes small amounts, you know, children putting pocket money in to um, people putting a hundred quid in. Um, And it's added up over the course of uh, a year now since we launched um, to uh, over hundred thousand pounds, which is enough to build a a, a statue and uh, and we couldn't be more delighted and shortly or around the time that we were launching was about the same time by coincidence that the Colston statue was coming down in, in Bristol when there was a whole debate <laughs> about statues and, uh, and it became you know people trying to introduce the cultural wars into into statues and and we've made the point we are a very non-political campaign. And We kind of quite like the time that when other statues were coming down, we're doing a positive campaign to put, put one up. up, put one up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it, we've, we've avoided controversy, and we've been delighted with um, with the support that we've had from the community.
2: Where will the? I mean, it'll be located, I presume, at the uh, the, the home end, of the home park. I don't. I've, it's a ground I've never been to, and it's something maybe I'll I'll try and address in the in the in the uh, years to come. I've never well, we'll
4: invite you, Nick. Uh, yeah, no, be, be, yeah. I've never so been down,
2: so. Well, <laughs> I mean presumably at the home the home turnstile end or some something of that kind there, then Greg?
4: Yeah, that's right. We've we've got a couple of ideas um in mind, but uh we're going to bring the sculptor down to home park to site it and you know, put his input into where it would look good with sight lines and so on. Mm. But uh, it will certainly be a prominent place and I know from having visited, you know, many football grounds that when there are grounds with statues of, of legends, that they're often become a meeting place, you know. They do, yeah. The statue. And uh, right. and I love yeah. the idea that, that people will say, yeah, meet me at the Jack Leslie statue. It will be a real focal point, and we're really happy with that.
2: Anyone interested in the in the campaign, in Jack Leslie's life, should go to www.jacklesley.co.uk. It's a fantastic website. Um, I've learned a lot from reading it. Um, I didn't know Jack's story, but now I won't forget it. And I think that's that's all you can achieve with these kinds of campaigns. Um, Greg Foxsmith, it's been wonderful to talk to you today. Um, I'll take you up on that date when the um, when the statue is erected at uh, Plymouth. It'd be a great uh, great day out, and um, I look forward to seeing the end result of, of of this this wonderful wonderful campaign. Thank you for coming on the show, Greg.
4: Nick and Neil, thank you very much for having me.
2: What a fantastic story Jack Leslie has, Neil. You know, it it took my breath away when I read the uh, the, uh, the, the website and, and did a little bit of research myself. Wonderful, wonderful story.
3: Mate, it's one that, as we said in the intro, has been largely forgotten, and even better was he became a publican and then a boilermaker in east london <laughs> and then went on to be a boot boy in his retirement a boot boy. yeah, boot of Trevor Brookin. yeah. But he just wasn't bitter about it no he had no resentment there was a there was an interview with him just after viv anderson became the first black player to play for england and he said uh, they were only doing what seemed right to them in them times they found out i was a darkie. And I suppose they thought that was like finding out I was foreign.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. The, the language of the time is, you know, I mean, we're Millwall fans, you know, we're not we're not strangers to 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 the world as it is. But even to, I mean, I, I just found seeing the language laid out in black and white, it, it stops stopped me in my tracks, if I'm honest. Um and he's he's kind of um I don't know whether he would have accepted it, but it, it, what, what choice did, did a man like Jack Leslie have in those times? Probably not many open to him, other than to show by his skill on the pitch, make that his answer, you know. And 50 years later, some
3: people would have been, some people are bitter and twisted about things that happened two or three years ago. Yeah, <laughs> 50 years of it. and But he just didn't, it just seemed to accept it that it was, part of the time back then there was no yeah there was no cancel culture or anything
2: no no like that
3: around was there you just got on with it and
2: well jack wouldn't have had much choice but get on with it i suppose i mean you know that's that's the harsh reality of it um there was there was no support network there was no um there's no there's no alternative voice i suppose is probably the best way i can put it It's certainly an eye-opening story. And I I, I do recommend anyone that's interested in in the the story of Jack to have a look at that website. It's it's really, really good. Um, I certainly got a lot from it. Um, But just to close our show today, Neil, because I've really enjoyed this conversation, mate, but I thought we'd do like an On This Day. And it's not quite On This Day because we're a couple of days late now. But On This Day in 1950, 71 years ago now, um was one of the most um, uh, dramatic results. We're in the midst of Euro 2021 at the moment, but this was the World Cup of 1950. One of the most dramatic results of all time. Um, England, nil. United States of America, one. 1950, June 29th. Played in Belo Horizonte in Brazil. And quite an earthquake <laughs> in terms of the impact it had on the game. <laughs> You know, it was England's World Cup debut. I think
3: <laughs> we mentioned with Greg Fox Smith that we'd boycotted the first World Cup. We boycotted yeah. the next two, yep. and this was the first time that the that the country that had given the world football had taken part in the World Cup, and uh, we we just we went over there and it was really poor. I mean, I mean. Was, Unbelievably poor. I think. I think that There's, the, the team was made up of players that were.
2: Well, one guy was a Scot, a Scottish guy. I think he he went on to sign for Manchester United. Eddie, Eddie McGill, McGillray, I think his name is. Um, but the actual result was, you know, if you if you park this result to one side, listeners, because England still weren't out of the World Cup despite the humiliation of getting beaten by the USA. Um, we still had a shot to go through as, as um, the group winners in this particular tournament, but were the only ones that qualified for the next round. And we managed to, to screw it up against Spain. You know, I mean, it was a really poor World Cup, including a, a, a loss to, to the USA. Um, and we'd gone over there as the kind of self-proclaimed kings of football I've seen described <laughs> as described as self-appointed.
3: I didn't bring that up. I was just about to, we were the kings of football, I think, with what? lost four and drawn three of our post-world war ii yeah. games and uh, we didn't have a mickey mouse side we had the no, it was a decent side the Matthews. Yeah, I know. we're
2: talking um, about statues they've got statues of him all over blackpool haven't they well i mean looking at the england team there i mean alf ramsey would go on to win the world cup as manager obviously in in 66 billy riot i mean this this is one of the major names of the game um wilf Mannion, tom finney my grandfather used to rave about Tom Finney as a proper forward. Stan Mortensen. Um, yeah, I mean, this was not a was not a slouch of a side. Um, but somehow, I don't know whether that was... In some ways, I wonder whether it's like the English kind of con- condition that we still labour with a little bit to this day, that we think we're much, much better than we actually are, you know. <laughs> it comes as an awful surprise endlessly that the rest of the world... Actually, can play the game and and enough to beat us. It's um, it was certainly an epoch-making result. Another thing that struck me Neil, and I don't know, um, I don't know if the, you know, this was my, the, the, we have to remember. This was 1950, so um, the country was still in the aftermath of the Second World War, and there was still rationing, which would improve in, include newsprint. But there was the relatively um, unhysterical coverage that the result got. If you look through the the, the newspaper archive, I mean, there's the game was just reported as just a game, you know, and there's there's one here from the Western Daily Press. It says that it's the last straw the US beat England in the World Cup, um, the biggest blow to English sports prestige. But it's, it, it was matched up in the St. Ledger result. And it's given equal amount of coverage in terms of inches on the back page. And Somerset heading for another win was just, you know, marginally below this as a story. So no hysteria back in those times, was there? Can you
3: imagine it now, Christ Almighty! Oh oh. You England draw nil nil with Scotland in the uh, <laughs> uh, game of the Euros, and you'd have thought the world was about to come to an end. It, 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 it was just, it, it was just. You reported the facts back then, didn't you? There was no spin around it. No, there no hysteria. No, yeah, um, there was no my opinion, which no. you're encouraged as a journalist to so- write and yeah what's actually amazing was that american team but well, one of the players drove a hearse for his uncle's funeral home <laughs> this was before ray wilson in 1966 a famous undertaker and they just weren't others worked as litter, uh sorry yeah it was
2: letter carriers or dishwashers and yeah the goal scorer famously was um, Joe Gates-Gins. I, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. He was born in Haiti. Um, related to the Haitian dictator Papa Doc Duvalier. <laughs> apparently he's a member of the Duvalier family. Um, well, you know, anyone that knows, um, any, any dictator anywhere, they're very rarely pleasant blokes. And apparently he was... Um, um, he, he was presumed killed. He, he was disappeared in the 60s, the, uh, the, the, the goal scorer Gageens, and um, possibly mixed up with uh, political shenanigans in Haiti, um, which is a strange end for, a, for one of the great goal scorers. I mean, the other interesting thing was that in the USA, This as, as much of the result sent shockwaves around the rest of the world, in the USA it was just seen as so-so. There was only one American reporter there from the St. Louis Sentinel. No one else sent a reporter to cover the game. Fascinating. Yeah, I
3: think they had a chance. Yeah, yeah, with the head coach, I think, Bill Jeffrey told people we've got no chance. He declared his players were sheep ready to be slaughtered. <laughs> That's a good team talk. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And England, uh, yeah, well, I know I mentioned Stanley Matthews, but Matthews couldn't actually get in the side because he'd actually toured Canada with another England team. Can you imagine that? England sent two teams, one to the World Cup <laughs> and one to Canada. Different <laughs>
2: times, weren't they? Different times. Anyone interested in the story of um, Joe Gatejens? Uh, there are there's a documentary on ESPN. Um, Outside the Lines, it's called, but also a movie um, called The Game of Their Lives, um, depicting the uh, the story of Joe Gatejens. Um, strange story, strange result. Um, I, I mean, so the, the result was described as a kind of like a, 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 a world shatter I, I don't know if it was Neil. I mean, I, I've always thought of it as the Hungarian loss in 1953, six three to the the Hungarians. So, they played a different brand of football entirely. I always thought of that as being the the moment where English football realised the game was up.
3: Quite possibly, but also don't forget this would have been. Yeah, but America didn't play football. They still. No football yeah women's football bigger over there yeah
2: that's right the female game yeah that's right
3: you could understand it and but i think because of the times and because things weren't sensationalized it just probably largely went ignored didn't yeah. it and uh and well it's only now that we put the historical spin on it and we look back we, yeah you know, we start looking at these things and people say Christ, that was a bit poor wasn't it i'm i'm i'm, I'm trying not to swear here <laughs> we're trying to be a little bit we're trying honest. to keep
2: the we're trying to keep the e explicit monica off of this podcast listeners <laughs>
3: we've done a good
2: job so far done a good job so we far we have
3: actually and uh, but this was just one of those results and i think there was what 10 10
2: 10,000. 10,000, rising by 13,000 as the game went along and it dawned on everyone that the English were going to get beaten here. Um, the, the match report's quite interesting because apparently we laid siege to the American goal. but It was one of those games, and as a Millwall fan, you'll know this, where you just can't score a goal for love nor money. And there it is USA 0, uh, USA 1, a, England 0. And that was that was one of the great results of World Cup history. Let's hope for better on Saturday night when we go to uh, to Rome to play the Ukrainians. There we are. I hope you've enjoyed this show, listeners. Um, it's very much a first effort for Neil and myself. And I think we're probably both um, kind of feeling our way through the, the format and, and, and the style. I've enjoyed the conversation, Neil. I think it's a great story with the Jack Leslie story and a nice little finish with English disaster in the World Cup.
3: <laughs> yeah, some things never change. Let's hope, it <laughs> doesn't. Let's hope this story isn't repeated over the weekend. But, Thing yeah, no, it, it, yeah but as I've said to a couple of Facebook historian groups, this is very much going to be a, we're going to see how we go mm. for a couple of months, aren't we? And we're going to tweak things. And there's no set format for this, as I no. said earlier on. We don't want this to be stuffy and we want to bring our personalities on it because we've both got sense of humour, we both look at things in a sideways type of... Yeah, I, I think
2: that's, that's, that's the way to approach this I think, it's certainly the best way that we can approach it I think um, I think what I want to say also, we're interested in, if anyone out there has a suggestion for a subject if you're bringing out a book and you want to talk about that book um get in touch with us there is an email address i'll stick it in the show notes um i will get it in amongst the um the pawn and the uh the financial scams i keep getting on the account now since i set it up this morning um and we want to hear from you it'd be wonderful to um well any anything in the realm of football i think you no know, it? it's anything and everything
3: yeah that's right yeah well we're yeah well we're pretty open-minded i think about what we
2: well what we talk about as long as it's interesting Legal and interesting. I think that's the best way to 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 leave it. Um big thank you to Greg Foxmith for joining us earlier on. Big thank you, Neil Fischer, for being my co-pilot on this first journey into the into into the air. Big thank you to you listeners for for tuning in. And we're going to try and get another show out next month. We'll um we'll hopefully have some more content for you that month's time. So until then, it's good night from me and good night from him. him. <laughs> thank you for listening.